0: Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank member FDIC.
1: Not every team is going to get to draft Devin Witherspoon. Not every team is going to get to draft Bijan John Robinson or Will Anderson or Jalen Carter or any number of first round picks in this class. But there's still 250 other guys that are going to get drafted. And there's a lot of names to choose from when it comes to the best handcuffs of the 2023 NFL draft. That's what we're talking about today. So without further ado, Jay, roll the intro. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman. Here with my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder. Uh, We'll be joined very shortly by Matt Bowen of ESPN fame, uh, you know going way back in the day, NFL matchup, uh, you know writing about the NFL for 15 years at this point, played seven years in the NFL, one of the best in the business when it comes to breaking down tape and explaining the nuances of the game. Also a very accomplished high school coach with, I think it's like four championships in the last seven, seven years over at IC Catholic. So uh, Matt Bowen's one of the best. as we mentioned at the top of the show, we're doing best handcuffs today. Not in the sense you think of fantasy football handcuffs, more so in the, if you miss out on top talent, who else can you get later in the draft? Um, Also, one more reminder before we get into this, EJ, our DraftSmith's Eve stream, since we're going to be in Kansas City, going to be 4 to 6 Central Time Wednesday evening. So if you're not in Kansas City, catch us on the DraftSmith's Eve stream uh, that night. And then we're going over to KC Co. again in Kansas City, from 7 to 9 local time there uh, for a little get-together with some beers and and snacks and talking football and all that kind of stuff. Uh, You're also going to be coming over on the Film Room channel that morning for my annual mock draft, so you can roast the shit out of me for a few hours there. Uh, And then we have our draft streams on the actual draft days for 19 to 20 hours, whatever that's going to end up being. So uh, lots to come.
2: Yeah, it's getting close. This is... uh... We're right on the edge of all this. And once we get to KC, it's going to be a whirlwind. We're going to start off with basically three different live streams um, before we get into the draft live stream. And then Sunday, we're going to record our wrap up pod that we recorded last year in your living room uh up at a distillery in casey along with the kcsn guys so they've got details about that online um, check out casey beer co's event page for the details about their meeting and gathering there's gonna be beer specials food specials we're gonna have some giveaways should be really fun and then we're just gonna then we're just gonna pour our hearts out for three days about all the work we've been doing on the draft and uh, it is a celebration so Draftsmith eve is an appropriate moniker
1: well i'm not going to waste any more time we're going to get right into bringing on matt because uh, we have a lot of very good players to talk about, some of which I don't think we've even mentioned yet during all of draft season. So uh, with that said, let's get to the it. Great Matt Bowen joining us now. Uh, talk a little bit of draft prospects here, writer and analyst at ESPN. But more importantly, DB coach at IC Catholic coming off a state championship. That's got to feel go. great. Also played seven years in the NFL. Uh if you recall correctly, I think it was 20 years ago this year. Uh, second year in the league with the Packers, 15 tackles in that wild card game. I'm sure you felt nice, black and blue after that one. Uh, how are you doing, sir?
3: <laughs> I'm doing great. And I appreciate you guys having me on. That's, a, that's a, a tough memory, a good memory to play in that football game, but that was the wild card game against Atlanta. And they had a young quarterback in his second year in the league named Michael Vick. Okay. Hmm. Michael Vick made – you wouldn't see it. If you looked at the box score, you wouldn't really see it. But if you watched the tape of that game, he made so many critical plays for Atlanta, third and six, getting the first down. Second reaction play, uh, driving the ball in the middle of the field right on me for a touchdown on like a quick seam route in the high red zone. He made so many plays in that game that that changed the course and really dictated the outcome of that football game. And we thought – look, I thought that was a Super Bowl team. We were all dead in Green Bay. But in week six, well, it was week 17 back then, we went to New York and played the Jets. And all we had to do was win. We were the number one seed. We lost mm-hmm. that game. We actually got pushed around in that football game. We ended up having to play six days later in the wild card. And then, boom, it was over. And that's how quickly it happens in that league. And when you get into the tournament play, if you're not ready, and they got us.
1: I mean, Michael Vick was a special special player, so I, I, I can't fault anybody for for, for struggling against him. Yeah, it's a precursor
2: to what we're seeing in this draft we've heard a lot of talk about you know we've seen the focus shift from purely how are they ready as a passer for quarterbacks coming into the league to how can their legs support them while they develop as a passer and it's a conversation that you see all the time around Justin Fields but of course we're hearing about Richardson this year and other quarterbacks as well what can they add to that game and 20 years ago he was able to do that he was able to pick up critical first downs with his legs and he had a laser for an arm you know that's the, <laughs> he's an outlier there there, but it you talk about those plays that you don't necessarily see on the box score, and I love that because we try and on this podcast for sure dig in a little bit and look at some of those plays that maybe don't make the stat sheet, but really do make the game. So it's I I love the insight.
3: Yeah, and that's and that's what Vic did. You brought up the arm talent; it really changed how you played as a defensive back. So if you were playing a fifteen or getting to fifteen and cover two against someone like Vic, and today would be against like a Josh Allen. Or Patrick Mahomes, you have to get to 18, right? Mm -hmm. You had to give yourself (laughs) an extra cushion just because you knew he can throw it over your head at any point. We did that with Vic back in the day. Obviously, Drew Bledsoe back in the day, too, was a quarterback who could attack the third level whenever he wanted. So it really impacted how you played, how you prepared, but also mentally as a defensive back, you said, well, i got to give myself a head start here. And with Vic, the last thing you want is to be in cover, too. And from break contained, it's just you and him. Okay.
1: <laughs> with, with 18 yards of space. <laughs> Nightmare yeah, feels
3: tremendous. Tremendous. Tough to play against, man. Really tough to play against and tough to prepare for. I've always said this before How, you can't recreate some of these players in practice, right? So
0: mm-hmm. you can
3: have the scouts, you can have the script and the concepts but you cannot recreate Michael Vick in practice in terms of the game speed and what he can do as a playmaker with the football in his hands. So that's, you know, you go all week at practice, you think you got it. And then the first couple of plays you say, well, we didn't see this in practice now. <laughs> I say, it and, and that's, that's something about, you know, the the upper tier players in this league is you just have to go through it and you have to see it in live game speed and it takes time to adjust.
1: Yeah. It's it's the 1% of the 1% to be sure. Uh, and we have a couple one percenters that we're talking about today too, because, uh just to set the stage for people listening when we're talking about handcuffs we don't mean it in the sense of uh, of like fantasy football where somebody gets hurt and then you have like their backup on your bench that you plug in we're more speaking uh, in draft terms of if you miss out on these top tier guys who all pretty much certainly will go in the first round who is your handcuff in the draft that you can get later uh to play either a similar role similar style uh, maybe even similar level of talent Really, whatever definition you want to use. Uh, and, and perhaps the, the first player, or at least the first DB drafted in this class, who is a tier one player on virtually everybody's board, and somebody who most teams will not get a chance to draft. That's going to be Devin Witherspoon from Illinois. For a team that misses out on him, who is your handcuff for him that you can get later?
3: All right, I don't think you guys are going to be surprised when I say this thing okay i don't think so at all because we were just talking about iowa but what about riley moss what about riley moss okay okay and this is why i say that about riley and this is just again based on tape study i know riley i know the program obviously but just based on tape study what we're all watching when i see Devin witherspoon i see someone who has tone setting traits in the secondary so if i'm a coach and this is this would be a great discussion because we know Gonzalez from oregon has high level traits as well but coaching versus scouting right from a coaching perspective Devin Witherspoon, I want him in the DB room. Okay, I think he can set the identity for my secondary in how he plays in terms of his physical and aggressive demeanor, both in coverage and versus the run game. And I think you see some of that with Riley Moss at times. Now here's the mm-hmm. thing about Riley Moss. He played at Iowa. We understand what Iowa system is under Phil Parker. It's a lot of cover six, some cover three, some two deep, some zone, right? But he has the skill set to match and carry a man coverage. He's got mm-hmm. the long speed, he's got the definitely has the ball seals down the field. And I think he's an aggressive physical cover corner when he gets those opportunities. Now, in addition to that, with those zone schemes, he has his own vision. I sometimes call it backfield vision. That's how I teach my DBs that I see is can you clue into the backfield? Can you read through the wide receiver to the, to the quarterback to get a jump on the ball or to play uh, two through the zone? An example in cover three of a post-wheel concept. Can you play two through the zone? Can you drive downhill on the under from zone coverage? And I think Riley, when he's given that opportunity, has enough scheme versatility to play in multiple schemes. And I've said this a lot about the NFL because I think we all get stuck uh, through the draft process and saying this, well, this is a man corner, right? This is a zone corner. And I understand that because that that does uh, – there's some truth to that. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. But when you get in the NFL in third and two to six against Mahomes and Kelsey, you can't play cover three. It's a first mm-hmm. down every time, right? Can't do it against Josh Hill. You have to be able to challenge in those situations and play man coverage, in my opinion. If you look at the, the coverage charts throughout the year, even the zone-heavy teams, when it comes to third down, that cover one rate starts to climb a little bit, right? So every corner has to have some man traits. Um, and obviously, I am a little biased towards the University of Iowa. I understand that. But when I watch tape on Riley Moss, I think he can be – I don't know what tier it is, guys, but if Witherspoon is the top tier – and, he, and he's a day one pick, like we all believe, maybe a top 10 pick. Is mm-hmm. Rodney lost that guy somewhere on day two or even early on day three that can give you similar traits and similar play demeanor?
1: Do you feel like he, in terms of his skill set, because we're talking about somebody who has range, instincts, ball skills, and zone, which a lot of people love to put that outside so that you can have somebody with the ability to, say, midpoint on like, you know, two verticals going down that side and be able to take away both, or considering his his ability in the run game, do you see him as a more valuable kind of attacking player inside at nickel? That's a
3: great question. I like that idea because it depends on what type of scheme you're in, obviously, right? Um, but if you played him like uh, we call it the adjuster at I see, like the star, right, the star mm-hmm. position um, in a lot of college defenses where. You are basically an overhang defender who can match and carry, drop his curl the hook, uh, play some man covers like we talked about on third down, be able to be a part of pressure schemes in your sub-package personnel. But like you said, also, you have to have the ability to tackle in space. You Mm -hmm. have to be a physical player in the slot, in my opinion. You have to have that play to meter. So that, I I think, is a really good idea. I like that idea a lot. I, I wouldn't be surprised if some NFL teams have said that. And look th- this has been thrown around too that that riley could be a safety uh, i've heard that before but i think he's a corner i do and the transition mm-hmm. from corner to safety is not that easy in my opinion it's much different angles it's different vision it's different techniques it's different depth you're playing from Too playing from depth takes time to understand I'm not saying that he couldn't do that at some point in his career but for now i see him as a corner Man, there's a lot to chew on. You brought
2: up three things I want to talk about. I'll I'll do them in reverse order. The, the most recent one you mentioned was the transition from safety to corner, and we see it all the time. People say, ah, oh, I, I think he's this, I think he's this. And the depth is really important is the piece I'm going to bring up. You're playing from so much farther away, and you've got so much more vision, and sometimes that's just noise. Some people are more comfortable where they can see a bigger picture, and some people are less comfortable with all that information and processing that they have to do. They'd much rather man up on a guy and just sort of focus. The thing about draft and everybody sort of hooking into scheme and saying, oh, what scheme does this guy fit? What scheme does this guy fit? You're right. We talk about fit all the time, but it's not always scheme sometimes. And this is more the angle I come to it from. Brett starts with scheme and we have these discussions. He goes, I can't see this guy because I just can't see it coming out of his college scheme. And I go more for athletic traits, movement, and what I think the guy can do eventually, whether or not he was asked to do that in college. And so we we meet in the middle and I think the product's better because of it, but sometimes you do have to dumb it down and say just because this is where this guy played, you know to go back to another Hawkeye example, George Kittle, right? If you'd taken George Kittle just on his Iowa film, which a lot of people did and said, well, he can't do these things and San Francisco said, mm, no <laughs> I think he wasn't asked to do these things, but I think he can do these things. So I think that's really important as well. And then the thing about Riley, that I love is that he's going to bring that aggression. And the guy that I thought of wasn't Riley, but it's similar in approach and it's Cam Smith from South Carolina. Yeah. And it's, it's not that he has all the skills. And we should say this about all the handcuffs we're going to talk about the, the reason you're going to miss out on these guys, the reason they're going to go up high is because they have everything, right? If you're a first round player, if you're a top half of the first round player, which a lot of these guys are, you have everything you're not going to get everything at the third round or the fourth round or wherever these guys are going to go you're going to get some of those things and the thing that i see matching up between cam smith and witherspoon is the aggression on the outside the physical play and you said man right and we say all the time it all becomes man after a while <laughs> you can play you can play a zone for 2 or 3 seconds but it's all man after a while and you got to have some man skills And so that again goes back to that first point of scheme versus skills. And Cam Smith is a guy that does is unafraid, just like Devin Witherspoon, to man up on a guy, play him physically on the boundary, has that flexibility to slide inside a little bit, be a force or nickel player. Some people have talked about that as his role at his size. I think he has outside boundary ability, but has that flexibility. And coaches love that in the league because we're getting towards that positionless defense where DB is the better moniker inside, outside. So
1: that was a guy I thought of. Who'd you think of, Brett? Uh, you know, it, again, it's tough because I have Witherspoon as my top DB, and, and how I kind of delineated it is I put all the DBs together, the safeties, the nickels, the corners, because a lot of them can play multiple spots. Um, and he's the only guy in this class that I said everything for ideal position because I think he'd be an all-world safety because of how Willie tackles. He could play – Nickel as well as like Derwin James is like a hybrid player. He could play outside corner and press and off and everything like that. And so I was trying to find somebody who I think has that that same type of versatility that could go later. Uh, And I came up with Corey Trice from Purdue. Different build, much bigger guy, still way underrated uh, feet and hips, like for like a 6'3", 205-pound corner to have his ability to T-step and drive the way he does, which most guys his size can't do. like I, I can't recall that many corners that are his size that are even allowed to play seven-by-one off-man coverage because it, it normally doesn't work out, but he's able to do it. Not to mention he's tough against the run, really physical and press coverage. I, I, he's one of the few guys where it's like, what corner spot do you want him to play, boundary field or nickel, and I say yes. And so if you can't get, witherspoon because you're not picking in the top 10 i think taking Corey trice in the second round it's not that it's the next best thing but it might be the only way that you can get that type of of flexibility to me in a package that's an even bigger body
3: and brett i like that you said the t step i like that and talking about the transition speed that's a term i use because defensive backs especially you know you see it a, a lot more at the safety position but if you're a defensive back that's six one, six two, six three. There's going to be some natural functional hip tightness. Okay, mm-hmm. it just is now. And look, the elite players do not have that. We understand that. A Derwin James does not have that. But uh, a lot of taller corners and taller safeties. It it takes some time to gather and come out of their break. So if you have someone with that length and can create downhill speed on the football, like you're talking about from an off man position, and transition with speed now you got something because Mm -hmm. you can't teach that in my opinion that those are athletic gifts that you have you can teach technique all day long but when it comes to and i use the term all the time uncoachable traits okay and when you're talking but there are coachable traits as well but the uncoachable traits that's the stuff you want right that's the stuff because you build around that you you can build around that you can develop players through game reps coaching uh, from film room work but the uncoachable traits are, that's really what you
1: want. Well, speaking of uh, uncoachable traits, next guy on our list has uh, every single one of them you can think of. He is uh, a unicorn among unicorns in terms of running back prospects. A lot of people have him graded higher than Saquon, higher than Fournette, higher than CMC, all guys that win the top 10. He is seen as, especially in the modern you know, draft era, if there's a running back th- that's going to go in the top 10, It's B. John Robinson. Knowing that and knowing how special he is and knowing that 31 teams are not going to get B. John Robinson, but if they still want a true three down back in every sense of the word, where are you going in this class? Um, I
3: like that you said that about Robinson. I think I use the term all-purpose playmaker. Um, I think that kind of summarizes what he is. I think he's the best player in the draft. I Mm -hmm. think he's the best prospect in this class. Now, like you said, positional value, we'll see. The guy I picked, um, I might be a little too too high um, in terms of how we're doing this, but what about Zach Charbonnet from UCLA?
1: Oh, yeah. Let's we love go. Charbonnet, so we're, <laughs> we're all about it.
3: <laughs> this is why I said this, because I, I thought the best trait, in, in the Robinson has all the traits, but I thought one of his best pra- traits was downhill power and contact balance. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you see that with Charbonnet in terms of when he gets on a north-south track. Okay, his ability to run through arm tackles, to bounce off defenders, and he has enough to make people miss. And here's the thing about him. I think eventually in the NFL, he can be a three down player for you. I think Mm -hmm. he's a natural catcher out of the backfield. Now, is he going to be utilized like Robinson, like we've seen in some of the Texas film when he split out white? I don't know about that. But in terms of an NFL route tree for running back and what we usually see with that, you know, it's swings and screens. It's the angle routes. It's bursting to the flat it's getting some seam releases out of the backfield i um, mean there mm-hmm. could be some stuff when he's flexed outside but running that that traditional pro route tree on the backfield i think he can do it
2: yeah this is a fascinating one because bijan is he's a unicorn he has everything and he's he's the perfect guy for this discussion i'm really glad that you picked him when i saw your list because we have sort of not avoided talking about him, but there's been so much talk about Bijan that we tend to focus some other places and just give Bijan his credit and say, he's amazing. (laughs) He's stupendous, but we really haven't gotten a chance to dig into him. So this is a chance to sort of pick apart those pieces of his game that are excellent and say, which ones can you get a little bit later on down? And I've got two stops on that train. The first one is his teammate, Roshan Johnson, and I love Roshan and think that if Bijan wasn't around, we would be talking about Roshan as a top five back in this class and probably should be anyways. But it's a big shadow. <laughs> Bijan's shadow is <laughs> tremendous, but there's very little drop off in terms of what Roshan was able to do. And you don't, you rarely get this chance behind the exact same offensive line and the exact same offense. The production, certainly on the rushing side, was there and in some places even greater. If we're talking about missed tackles per attempt, Roshan's is higher than Bijan, and I think that would surprise a lot of people. And the other one is yards, percentage of yards after contact. You talked about the ability to run through those arm tackles, and as a running back, it's a huge deal, especially in the league, because there's so many yards after that first piece of contact that you can go get. 73.8% for Roshan. Like, that's a guy that's earning it out there. Now, what you're not going to get... You talked about it, the pass tree. Roshan was not used as a receiver. He's a decent receiver, but in, I would say, the very shortest zones, and that's how they used him. Does he have more potential, like a Kittle to expand that in the pros? Maybe. Maybe they just didn't do it at Texas. But the evidence isn't there for that. The evidence for what you can get in the running game is definitely there, and I think being slept on a little bit. And the second stop on that train is a little bit closer to you, um, and it's sort of... You do get everything, you just get it at slightly lower levels, and that's Chase Brown from Illinois. Oh, took my guy. Yes. <laughs> I love it. We don't talk about these lists beforehand, so when we hit the same guy, it's a good time. Um, but missed tackles forced, Chase Brown second in the top running backs in this class, behind one B. John Robinson, seventy one to seventy four. Very comparable. Um, Yards after contact are lower, but he is good in the passing game, and he's also a really good pass blocker in this class of running backs. So you're getting all three traits. You're getting some electric ability in the run game. Is it the same? No, of course not. It's not the same. You're getting flexibility and a little bit more route usage in the passing tree than a guy like Roshan and you're getting pass protection which we all know for young backs is a key to early playing time and Chase Brown's not going to go on day one he might not even go till the end of day two or possibly that top of day three because there's a lot of backs in this class you're going to be able to get value further on down. What you're not getting, uh, well, the levels of everything, and then Chase Brown's got to hold on to the football. He's one of the guys that's let go of the football more than other guys in this class, and he's gonna have to work on that because no NFL coach likes that. But you're getting top level, top tier athleticism and all three skills.
1: Yeah, one of the one of the things I love not just about Chase but about Sydney too. Um, I, I love their story. You know, yeah. growing up in growing up in Canada. Um, you know, with their mom, she got really sick after after their baby sister got born. Um, you know, they, they bounced around to they estimated twenty different shelters in Canada. You know, they were excelling <laughs> in athletics growing up as teenagers. They got hooked up with a, a, a Florida high school coach. Their mom drove them down to Florida so they could live in Florida uh, and and you know kind of chase that dream. Ended up eventually playing together in Illinois, and they've just they've been through a lot. They've been through a lot, and they fought through a lot of adversity, and all of a sudden now both of them could potentially be drafted within within the top 100 picks the NFL draft. It's it's a yes. rare, special story, uh, and I could not possibly be more excited to see where they go. I hope they get to play together still because they're both really <laughs> good players.
3: They are. They are good players. And Sydney Brown, um, I, again, I don't know where he's going to get drafted at this point, but Sydney Brown is, like we're talking about with Witherspoon, there's a certain sense to him, a certain sense of urgency in how he plays that I think uplifts everyone around you. And again, another player you want to help set an identity of a football team, not only on defense, but what he's going to do on special teams as a young defensive back in the NFL, because you'll see that urgency and that play speed show up when he's covering kicks.
1: He's also one of the few guys that I think could be a safety, and nickel, or even a dimebacker in this class, just because of his size and his build. That's it's, he, he, he's a hard thing to find. Uh, speaking of hard to find, by the way, Will Anderson has been seen as a blue chip prospect for, uh, I don't know, years at this point. Feels like we've just been waiting for him to go to the NFL since 2020. He is one of the most productive pass rushers in SEC history, and that says a lot. Uh, he will almost certainly be a top five pick, potentially as high as a top two pick, not without flaws in terms of athletic profile, but in terms of production, football character, efforts, and obviously the ability to generate speed to power at 245 pounds, uh, he he's a rare one. But if you don't get Will Anderson in this loaded edge class, who are you going to later in the draft?
3: Later in the draft. What about Byron Young from Tennessee? Okay, mm. I watched his tape this week. Uh, you know, I'm late getting on some of these players of. Uh, handling free agency at ESPN this year, but I turned on the film of him. One of the films to watch against is when Tennessee played LSU. Okay. I thought he was relentless as a pass rusher. Now he has traits. Okay. I think he ran in the four-four range at Indy. So there's no question about that in terms of his top end speed, but it's really the short area juice. I think his ability to get off the football. Now there's going to be technique work that needs to be done in the NFL in terms of his hand usage and, and developing more, more a deeper toolbox box of pass rush moves. I think you're going to see that with a lot of these edge rushers. But again, that's coaching, that's game reps, that's learning the pro fo- the game of pro football, and everyone goes through that. But the traits are there, the relentlessness is there, the motor he plays with is there. And one thing I liked about the Tennessee tape, and you guys probably do this as well when you watch prospects, are are there some NFL elements to it? The scheme, mm-hmm. I mean. And when you watch Tennessee, I use the term loaded front. Some people call it a tilted front. But you see it in San Francisco consistently, right? When Fred Warner walks up on the line of scrimmage, he got five-cross, a five-man service, mm-hmm. And what they're doing is trying to scheme one-on-ones, using twists, using stunts. When he comes off a stunt, I'm telling you now, he closes in a hurry. He yeah. gets there quick. And on watching the tape. It reminded me of Samson Ebukim. That's who I saw watching him on tape. And to me, that's somebody you can get later in the draft who can be more of a scheme-specific rusher until he develops those counter moves to consistently have more success winning one-on-ones. But until he gets to that point, you scheme him, right? You put him in positive situations where he can utilize those traits in an NFL defense.
1: I, I don't want to compare him directly to Von Miller because that's a dangerous comparison, but one of the things that Byron Young does that I think is very similar to Von is, and you mentioned this, when they get either a three technique or a four eye or a five that's kind of knifing inside, who's taking all that gravity with him in the B-gap, because Young is so athletic and so bendy, he can kind of hang on that edge as long as humanly possible to create more space for him to eventually wrap inside because he knows he's so explosive, because he knows he can wait that extra half tick, because his ability to to jump all the way to the A-gap is almost unparalleled in this class. He is so explosive. I think he's like a 41 inch vert. And I think that that's something that, that gets lost is, is people say, oh, they schemed up pressure for him. And it's like, well, no, he executed the scheme at a higher level than most other prospects can because of his athleticism. And I think you bring up a good point with Ebicam. You know, he, he's an undervalued pass rusher because I think people just, they, they see how he wins and they think that's replicable. And it's really not because there's a lot of edge rushers in this class or really edge rushers in the NFL that don't execute stunts like that. And it drives coaches insane because they're like, why am I calling this if you can't run it? So I, honestly, he's, he would be my, my pick for this as well for the exact same reason you said. Yeah, and I,
3: I, I like that you bring up the point about scheme. Because when Aaron Rodgers drops back and, and rips the seam ball to an open window, that's schemed as well. Okay. That, that's what mm-hmm. coaches do. That's their job. Okay. They're, they're trying to win the matchup of that play based on down and distance game situation, uh, what they saw earlier in the first half, right? There's a lot of things that go into it, but that scheme does matter. Of course it matters. It's not just all one-on-one football. Mm-hmm. Right? And look, I know everyone in the draft process wants to see that, right? Mm-hmm. When you post a clip on Twitter or you put it on social, they want to see someone win this Win this one on one and completely dominate the rep. Okay. Those are hard to find all the time. You're not gonna do that consistently. You're gonna need scheme. And those scheme fronts, well, San Francisco's using them, right? The Jets use them. A lot of teams in the NFL use them. They're doing it to give Nick Bosa the one on one he can win. Or they're doing it because Nick Bosa can wrap inside and get to the A gap in a hurry. The same stuff we're talking about right here. I this
2: I want a snapshot of this conversation. I just want it playing on a loop right above my computer because people (laughs) use scheme like it's a dirty word. (laughs) And it's the whole point. If you have a trait, a player, an ability, something that works, and you put your player in a position to do that and succeed, that's it. That's what you're supposed to do. And it's really important with young pass rushers because of something you said early on. They're not, very few of them come in with a full suite of of hand usage uh an entire you know quiver full of counter moves that's so rare i mean you know you watch these guys like we do if they have one great skill that can put them in the first round if they have two they're rare if they have three they're aaron donald and aaron donald (laughs) doesn't come along a lot so when i look at will anderson i love the idea of picking one thing that he does well and grabbing a guy that does that at a high level like Young. Um, the other guy, interestingly, that I just went back to last night that also is in that category because he's super young and super explosive is Ojalari at, at LSU and a lot of And a lot of guys uh, are going to say, well, you know, look, his unblocked pressure percentage was, you know, second highest in this class. Yeah, it's on purpose. (laughs) That's because they're, they're moving him into places where people aren't. And he does the exact same thing on loop stunts. A lot of his pressures come on loop stunts because he is long, explosive. He waits. And then once that gap is open, he pushes through it. I went a different direction with this one. Um, it's a guy I've talked about a lot, but he creates similar results through different means. His frame is somewhat similar, but the way he wins is not the same as Anderson, but the amount that he wins is actually surprisingly the same as Anderson, and that's uh, Tuli Tui pelotu the captain from the USC defense. Mm. They had him working at end and, and with the interior defensive lineman at the combine. I thought that was really strange. He's purely an edge in my mind. Um, the frame comparison, you know, Will Anderson six three two fifty three, 253. Thule is 6'3, 266. So a little bit bigger, but same number of TFLs, a very similar number of pass rush snaps. Uh, You know, Will Anderson, 45 hurries. Everybody talks about hurries and pressures, and they're so important. Tui Peloto had 41, right? Yeah. 13 sacks for Anderson, 13 sacks for Thule. Like, and if you look at the tape, they're not the same guy. But with that extra frame, you do see the ability to set the edge, play the run. Will Anderson is good at that. Um, I think that's an underrated part of his game that people don't talk about. So are you going to get the same sort of electric highlights? You're going to get pressures in the same way, the way you talked about it with the just, hey, he's just whooping that guy's ass one-on-one, and we get to see that highlight. It's not necessarily going to be that with Thule, but he's still going to get there. He's going to find a way he's tenacious and relentless and you're going to get some of the same results. Is it the same? And especially when athleticism is so important when you get to the next level, it's closer than people think. And again, he's going to be available later on down. So he was my choice for this one. I like it.
1: And I I think, you know, speaking to somebody who's literally in LA and 10 minutes from USC's campus right now, uh, most of the country doesn't watch Pac-12 games. I'm fully aware of that. I mean, Matt, <laughs> when, when when USC uh, versus Arizona State's on at 11 o'clock at night, you're probably in bed already. So I, I understand, you know, Thule not getting his flowers, but I, I think he will be drafted earlier uh, than people think. But that
3: speaks to the depth of this edge rushing class. Oh, for sure. You know, look, I live here in Chicago. If you're a team like Chicago Bears, and let's say you go offensive tackle at number nine, there's still a major need for pass rushers. Mm-hmm. There's going to be opportunity to get passers. It might not be Will Anderson. Okay? It might not be Tyree Wilson. That's okay. You can get quality starters in this draft that can play seven, eight, nine years in the national football, even be productive players. And I think that's what the point of the draft is, is how many blue chippers are there really every year? There's not. There's not a ton of blue are chippers. You? Yeah. yeah. You're, you're looking for quality starters, good pros that fit in your scheme, that can be available. And can play a lot of productive football for you. That's how you build a winning roster, in my opinion. And
2: a lot of the guys that we see starring in the NFL, everybody thinks of them. There's this huge recency bias. Everybody thinks of them as the players they are now. You know, when Matt Milano was coming out in the draft, nobody was beating down his door, right? Is he an excellent NFL player? He is, especially in that scheme. Fred Warner, you know, everybody knew he had traits, but nobody thought he was going to be. Fred Warner, that you think of today, right? And people Drey, forget. Dre Greenlaw. Green-
3: Greenlaw is another. <laughs> uh, Dre's my guy. Look at Micah uh, Hyde uh, from Iowa. Mike was a yeah. fifth round pick. He's got a long time. 100%. League, you know, so there are players to find on day one. Obviously, everyone knows about the day one players, but day two and day three, there's guys that are going to be there. They're going to be really good pros and guys that can have Pro Bowl seasons as well.
1: I have 34. 30- for, might be 35 uh, draftable grades on edges in this class. Actually, it might even be higher than that at this point because I've, I've added a couple since then. It, it, and the fact that there are likely fewer edges that will be drafted than I have draftable grades speaks to the outrageous depth in this class. Obviously, one of the players that I have a very high draftable grade on is gonna be Miles Murphy. Pretty much every expects him, everybody expects him to be a top 15, at worst, top 20 pick. Bigger body uh, than Anderson, you know, like 6'5", 275 is about what he played at. Was dealing with some injuries in 2022, but you go back when Brent Venables was there in 2021, that's kind of the year that everybody points to. It. Like, that's, that's what we're hoping we're getting is 2021 Miles Murphy. For the, you know, bigger, longer, stronger type edges uh, in this class, if you don't get Murphy, who are you looking at?
3: I have a name. I'm interested to see what you guys think. What about Zach Harrison from Ohio State?
1: Yeah, long. It's like 35 inch arms. Yeah, yeah. I don't
3: think he has the same play style as Murphy. I think Murphy is a high energy player, someone that we use the term relentless before. You can use it again here, but someone also that makes a lot of plays late in the down. Okay, what that tells you about a pass structure is they don't stop. If they get washed up the field, they're planting the step, they're getting back downhill. Okay, if the quarterback escapes out of the pocket, they're going to spin out and try to create a cutoff angle to still make a play. You see that consistently with Murphy. And we know Murphy had the excellent pro day as well. But with Harrison, it's really the physical tools. Okay, it's the physical tools when you watch him on tape. And what he, like we talked about before, EJ mentioned it, what he can be in the NFL. There's no question in the body type or the body frame. I think he has the – in terms of the short area burst or the short area quickness to get home to the quarterback, because of that length, uh, he's going to be in an advantage coming off the edge. Um, and also someone I think has enough lower body foot speed or lower body agility to be able to redirect when they get, when their edges get closed as a pass. So that's someone I watched on tape and say, you know what? There's a reason he's a, at Ohio state. First of all, right. He's at mm-hmm. the top <laughs> to begin with. Yep. And I always look at that. There's a reason he's there in terms of how he's recruited coming out of high school. But he has the tools you want. So if you're a coach, you say he's not a finished product. He has a lot of splash plays in the tape. He doesn't have consistent plays in the tape like Murphy. But can he be what I want him to be in two to three seasons with game reps, game experience, working with veteran defensive linemen in our room, and someone that I can develop into a quality starter?
2: Yeah, there's, this is a fun one. For me, I I'd, I'd make a differentiation in my rankings between true what I consider defensive ends and edges. Edges have flexibility to go from really five out and usually have some coverage athleticism. For me, the defensive end category are guys that can play from three to six if we're talking about technique and have very, very few coverage reps and don't necessarily look like they have the traits to succeed doing that in the league at the next level. That makes Murphy straight up a DE for me. It's 17 coverage snaps in in his last season. Like Not a guy, but what you do see, the huge frame, the power, the quickness, the get-off, and you certainly get the huge frame and the power uh, out of Zach Harrison. Um, strangely enough, another guy in the Big Ten that I think parallels harrison's frame but uh, it's a question of what you want more i think harrison gives you more edge setting is mike morris from michigan and mike morris is the same kind of frame um doesn't play with necessarily as much power or or tackling against the run but his pass rush win percentage is really high now it's a small sample they didn't turn him loose very much but he's a great athlete um so those two guys are sort of binary stars and it's which one do you want But the guy I want to bring up is a guy that almost nobody's talking about, at least that I've seen. It's Isaiah McGuire from Missouri. Uh, SEC guy, 6'4, 268. He is a defensive end for me, doesn't have coverage snaps. But, you know, what are you going to get that you would get from Murphy's game with him? You're going to get power. He's really heavy hands. He pushes guys around. You consistently see him turn offensive tackles' shoulders, drive them back into the quarterback, Um, can definitely set an edge but has some pass rush again we talk about the need for multiple moves the need for counter moves he's going to have to develop that he's not a finished product that's why he's going to be available in the third round or the fourth round or even the fifth round Um, but what you're going to get is those heavy hands and that big frame and the edge setting ability to just drive people back to the quarterback and when murphy is playing sort of in a flow state in his in his best life you see that he just picks a tackle up gets his chest up and just drives him um and maguire has got some of that power in him he's not as big he's not as quick but again that's why he's a handcuff and not a first-round player but i think a really good player and like you said a solid player that can come in eat snaps play five six seven years in the league that's a successful football player
3: you, you know what you're just saying right there and obviously like brett said earlier with von miller i'm not comparing the players here but in terms of play style just said that sounds like Cam Jordan to me. Okay, and and there's a you know there is a place. (laughs) I think, guys, I think we, I think we're all guilty of it, and obviously fans as well. Is we want the Von Miller, right? Of course. Highlight (laughs) sacks. We want the big time disruptive plays, but you need a base power end in your defense too, especially if you're a four man front. You got to have that guy, and Cam Mm -hmm. Jordan has made an outstanding career. Being a power rusher, who has got multiple moves now. Obviously, we understand that he's, he's an all-pro talent, but someone that is going to set the edge for you consistently and be nasty on the edge. You need that in your defensive
1: front. My, uh, my pick is actually, uh, I mean, I have virtually identical grades between Zach Harrison and, and my guy, who's Isaiah Vosky from Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Again, another 6'5", 265 founder with 34-inch arms, just an absolute block in the run game. Uh, discards tight ends with ease. Uh, He's a very, very tough matchup for anybody who doesn't weigh 280 plus. Uh, He does have a little bit of stiffness in the hips, which you'd expect for a guy who's 6'5", 265. If you don't have stiffness, you go in the first round when you're that size. Um, But still, his ability to compensate for that by shortening the corner with power. This is something that I think if you are not a super bendy guy, Your solution to that, in my opinion, should be the ability to throw that long arm, shorten the corner, give yourself less of an angle that you have to flatten when you're trying to finish the sack. Because if you can do that, it it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be the bendiest guy. Because as long as you're getting to a nine yard depth behind the line of scrimmage, you're going to be successful. How you get there can be very different uh, for different play styles and i think that foskey has that ability to shorten the corner with length and power to give himself a chance to flatten and finish. you know, he's one of the most productive uh, uh, golden domers ever in terms of pass rushers and again, saying a lot. i don't necessarily know where he's going to go in this draft again because his edge class is so deep, but if you're looking for that bigger <laughs> power end uh, and you don't even get harrison, <laughs> i think i think you know Fosky's not that far behind for me.
3: I mean, that's watch Lucas Venice and his tape at Iowa, you know, how he yeah. tries to shorten the edge because Lucas, I think, is an explosive athlete, explosive straight line athlete. But he's not that, you know, doesn't have that elite lower body flexibility to bend like that. So how do you create a rush back to the quarterback? But I think that's an excellent example of what you just said.
1: He's, uh, Van Ness is probably the only guy I've seen run over Skaratsky this year, so <laughs> he's he's a one-of-one he's a one to me. <laughs> yeah,
2: his power level is is at another level. He would be our player that we were talking about trying to find handcuffs for, not not as a handcuff. Um, but in, interestingly enough, we, we got to the same place going two different ways. You said Foskey, I said McGuire. McGuire, 6'4", Foskey, 6'4". McGuire, 268, Foskey, 264 uh total pressures mcguire 35 foskey 36 now more of foskey's were sacks so if you're talking about you know high quality stuff um that's a different thing uh both have unblocked percentages that are pretty low and you you're looking at two sides of the same coin and saying we're looking at the same things we found it in two different places and you could do that in the draft foskey's fascinating because he played at a, at a high profile program certainly and he had a ton of success biggest sack artist ever at notre dame and don't hear his name a lot. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's strange to me. I think he'll go higher than, than some people think. But again, it's going to be in that role that you talked about, Matt, of you need the power end if you're a four-man front. You can make five-man surfaces by bringing linebackers if you got them, but you gotta have that guy that you can sort of, uh, you know, offense talks about pin and pull. It's defensive version of pin and pull, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the pin. I'm gonna make sure that I don't move, and you can run the rest of the defense around me because you can count on that. And Vosky gives you that because he does for for the things he lacks. He does
3: not lack power or strength to be able to control at the point of attack. I agree with that, and you have to set an edge. Look, I don't care if we're talking about. The level i coach at or sundays in the nfl if you cannot set an edge versus the run game it's going to be a long day it is going to be an extremely yeah. long day for you You have to have the ability to set an edge as a defensive end position especially outside two on the perimeter with your corners you gotta have it
1: even if it's the only thing you can do you will make five million dollars for 10 years consecutively if you can set an edge <laughs> that has been proven now you mentioned lucas van ness who again is is like one of the the unicorn athletes in this class He's probably going to be the highest drafted Hawkeye uh, in this class, but many people would argue that he wasn't even the best player on his own defense because Jack Campbell was there. First things first, I'll let you wax poetic about Jack Campbell and everything that he brings to the table. Uh, And then I would love to hear your thoughts on if you can't get him, is there anybody in this class that even comes close to what he can do?
3: Right. Uh, now Jack has incredible football character, incredible leadership skills, outstanding teammate at the University of Iowa. And, and I think someone that showed through development and coaching that the gradual path of developing through your years at college under Coach Ferentz and Coach Seth Wallace who coaches the linebackers out there, uh, just to, his development, his growth as a football player, showing better instincts as he got older, showing more playmaking traits, the ability to pressure, the ability to cut off the football. and The one thing I like so much about Jack is I've used this term a couple of times today, but the play to me, right? It's kind of an old school play to me in terms of his ability to play downhill, be a downhill thumper, but create clean angles to the ball. When I talk to our young linebackers at the high school level, I talk it's always about your angle to the football. Can he create that clean cutoff or clean force angle the way we teach it, front hit or back hip, Because that puts you in a position to make plays. I think he's a mm. strong tackler at the point of attack. He's got better second-level range than people talk about. Okay. I think his testing numbers speak to that in terms of his ability to change directions, play in a straight line, but also drop as a curl and hook defender and match outside. And when I say match outside, what I mean is if you're gonna come walk outside, match and carry a vertical coming down the field. It's not true man coverage. We understand that, but he has traits that will allow him to play in a lot of different schemes. And I think the, the handcuff is hard because he's six foot five. Yeah, <laughs> you know, six foot five. And again, we're not comparing players. Six foot five is their locker. Six foot five is Edmonds. OK, you don't see a lot of linebackers with that that tall and with that length because it can be hard to change directions. Right. It can be hard. But Jack can do that. Now, again, finding someone like that is very hard. So I went through and I looked at my linebacker notes. I said, OK, who's old school? Okay, who can I put in the middle of my defense? Is going to come straight downhill, get on the track, come downhill, explode through blocks, slip t- slip blockers when he has to, find creases to get through, and be nasty at the point of attack. And the guy I picked was Isaiah Moore, linebacker for NC State. Okay, because when I watch his film, uh, this is what I say, guys. When I watch his film, I say, I want to coach. Okay, uh-huh. I want to coach right? Again, I've said that a lot this <laughs> during the show, but that's someone I want at the second level for me because I know – He's going to show up. I know he's going to have high energy. I know he's an intelligent football player just based off his take in terms of his football intelligence, how he reads plays. I think he sees it fast. I think he's instinctual. I'm not saying that he is this elite player in coverage. but You're talking early down situations. You're playing against the 49ers. In that run game, I want him in the middle of my defense.
1: Well, EJ, that was my pick too. I don't know if we went three for three on that one. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't expect that, but that was my
2: pick too. <laughs> only in half. Again, when you're talking about Campbell, he's fascinating, really sort of in four phases. The first one he talked about, physical frame. He's you know 6'4 and change, 249. Um, clearly the biggest, he's the tallest and the biggest interior linebacker in this class. And by a bit, uh, we've seen the, the weight on that position drop. There are guys playing at 215, 218 throughout the season. A lot of guys at 220, 222, he's you know, 25 pounds heavier than that. Um, so there's physical frame and I, I kind of have to separate that cause there's just not another one. You're not going to find another mm-hmm. one talked about the downhill demeanor and the instincts and the increase in instincts from when you watched him early in his career to what he produced last season. And he didn't get fooled very much at all. He played at a very high level mentally. And then the physical skills, the testing leaked out, right? You know, you saw it on the field, you saw it in the interception against Ohio state, the great hand, eye, the ability to get greater depth in his drops than a guy, his size typically should be able to do. Um, so he's got, this, he's got elite physical size, he's great against the run and taking angles, and he's got sort of unheralded playmaking talent in the passing game as well where you don't really see anything from him, not because he can't, but because he wasn't used that way in the scheme as pass rushing. Like his, his pass rush he did 13 total pressures. Like they just didn't use him to pressure the quarterback. He only had one sack, and it was basically cleanup. So it's not saying he can't do that at the next level, but if you're looking to replicate – You know, can't replicate the size. Can you replicate the run production? I say Moore, you can replicate the run production. That's a perfect pull for that. And then if you want somebody that can bring something in the passing game, Moore's not great there. So I went with Dorian Williams out of Tulane. Um, If you're looking at total tackle numbers, uh, tackles and assists for – Jack, and, and look, we all know tackle numbers, can be flawed. Uh, 129 for Jack, 139 for Dorian Williams, so right in the same ballpark. Again, really low production against the quarterback with both of those guys, but an underrated force in the past. I think everybody think, talks about how hard Dorian Williams hits. Yeah, that's the highlight stuff. That's the popcorn stuff. You do see it. He will smack guys just like Isaiah Moore does. Um, But, you know, yards per coverage snap, of which he had quite a few, 0.56 for Williams, 0.57 for Jack. Like they are similar players. They both had ball production, couple of interceptions. Those can be fickle. A pass defended for Jack, three for Dorian Williams. So you're getting similar run production, similar pass game production. Not a lot of production against the quarterback in a rushing sense. You know, Williams not as big, much smaller actually, 6'02"28. So you're not getting the size. But again, that's why Williams is going to be available back half of the second, middle of the third. And Jack Campbell's likely going to go in the first round. And if he doesn't, he's going to be one of the first players off the board in day two. So it's about picking and choosing the the attributes that you want and what you want to try and replicate. Um, You know, Isaiah Moore, if we could take four linebackers and build Jack Campbell for size, run stopping, pass rushing, and, you know, we'd have somebody great, but it takes four picks. You get it mostly in one with Jack. So I picked the two that I thought were sort of Again, you said it's translatable to Sunday, right? Does it look like Sunday football? And a lot of what Dorian Williams does, just like what Jack Campbell does, looks like Sunday football.
3: Yeah, I agree on, on Williams. I saw him down at the Senior Bowl when we were down there this, this what was at end of January, uh, early February, uh, early this winter. There's no question of the second-level range. He, he can roll now. He can roll in the open field. And there's a lot of things you can do with him in the NFL scheme, both in your base and sub. I'm even more excited to see if he gets with the right – Coach the right system. How you can utilize him in sub personnel, because I think you can put him in different spots. You can play him almost as like a dime hybrid as well, mm-hmm. because of those coverage traits and instincts. And like you said, going to Sundays, you will see him again if he's in the right system. Utilize more and pressures as and as a blitzer, because I think that will fit his game.
1: If, I'll I'll speak about Dorian Williams first, and then I'll, and then I'll hit up more because he was he was my pick as well. Um, the thing that I really like about Williams is when they run blitz, when he kind of knifes through, if he then has to flatten his angle down and chase somebody out to the edge, it's liquid quick. A lot of guys, you know, they're kind of like doing this, you know, it's like they're on the Nuremberg ring, you know, they're they're taking a huge long <laughs> angle and then all of a sudden they're chasing from behind, whereas Dorian is just, I'm here and then I'm here and we are in a straight line and, and he, he gets there so, so quick. Um, expanding on on more because I, I think I saw similar things to you and this is this is why I picked him. The reason why I think he's similar to Jack, in particular against the run game, a uh, little bit less so in the pass game, but in particular in the run game, it is. This is going to be tough to describe what makes instincts instincts for a linebacker, but kind of high level view. There's like two different ways that coaches like to teach run fits. It's ball fits and gap fits, right? You know, are you, are you tracking the ball and, you, and you're stacking on it and then you're falling back on the cutback and you're tracking the ball? Or do you just have a gap and your job is that gap? And I think the truly great linebackers, in the middle of a play, can switch up how they fit. You know, if a defensive lineman loses in front of them and they're gap-fitting, they immediately are covering that now open gap. And, and they kind of play off the defensive lineman while in the corner of their eye they're tracking the ball. Um, or if they're tracking the ball and there's a cutback, uh, or you know, maybe if there's a bounce they don't expect. They, they can immediately switch how they're fitting and, and almost get out of the way that it's drawn up on the whiteboard because every single playbook on planet Earth, they draw up how the, how the run fits are supposed to be, and then you get to the game, and, and none of them are like how it's supposed to be, and the truly great linebackers are the ones who don't just stick to the whiteboard and they just play football. And I think Isaiah Moore does that as well as Jack Campbell, obviously not the same athlete, not the same size, but if you're just looking for a football player that knows what he's doing, that has great eye discipline and that understands that it's not going to be pretty, but you still got to get the guy on the ground. I think, I think that's Isaiah Moore.
3: Yeah, I agree with you on that. And that's someone I I believe also will help you on special teams early in his career. Uh, There's no question about that. And (laughs) The one thing I'll say about special teams, and I played a lot of special teams, that's why I stayed in the league or why I survived. Really, in the league was was my ability to produce on coverage units, and that stuff earns you more reps. Okay, it does. If you're making plays in kickoff coverage, or you're blocking on the front line of kickoff return, and you're doing the right things, coaches they got to get you on the field. They they have to get you on the field. That will earn you more reps, not more necessarily reps, more opportunities to play defensive football in the NFL. It it builds trust with the coaching staff. It builds trust with your teammates while it keeps you in the league. And I will always say this. There is no better developmental tool than covering a kick for a young player at any level. You have to play with your hands, first of all. Your hands are your weapons, right? You have to be able to defeat blocks at top speed. You have to be able to create angles at top speed. And you have to tackle at top speed. While there's all this stuff going around. Now, understand, when I played the kickoff, there was no rules. It was like the Wild West. Okay,
1: the so, wedge. You know, it was a four-man
3: wedge. And back then, it was like Dan Campbell and, like, yeah. two other tight ends and a backup tackle holding hands, right? Uh, and you had to hit it. So And you couldn't chop, couldn't go below the knee, so you had to try to take an angle to slice through there. And you knew going down there, they're like, well, this is going to hurt really bad when I go through it. <laughs> <Like that too. laughs> But also there, yeah. was, there was trap box back there. They didn't call that stuff. You can yeah. hit someone in the side of the ear hole. Yeah. It was all over. So you had to do this stuff while playing at top speed. And even though the rules are different now and it's more man blocking, it's still de- it's still football, right? It's really defensive football at top speed. So for young players that we're talking about, especially defensive backs and linebackers, that's going to get you ready to play more football on Sundays because you're doing it against NFL competition.
2: Yeah, and it's going to slow it down for them as well. I You talked about speed, 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 and there's no greater speed than what you're doing at special teams. The one trait that all the linebackers that we talked about, and it's something I look for, it's a little box I check with linebackers, is do they, are they an aggressor, right, no matter what they're doing? And Brett talked beautifully about the difference in the type of reads. You talked beautifully about the difference in aiming points, front hip, back hip, eyes for the ball, eyes for the player, eyes for the gap. Are they gaining ground, right? And you see some great linebackers who are really athletic that are, that are passive, that wait. They might play over their toes, but they're, they, they basically wait until they can see it, and then they move. All the guys we talked about are, are moving forward, and they're making the right moves forward because if you make the wrong move forward, it takes you out of your gap, and, and you're going to be a liability. All these guys make the right moves forward, but they move forward, all three of them. When they're doing it, they hunt. They gain ground, they gain steps, they get closer, they limit angles. I think of it, uh, I had a you know hockey background when I was young, so did Brett, I think of it like a goalie, right? You want to sit back in the net and wait for something to happen, you can't. You need to advance and cut that angle down because basically your profile gets bigger. And a good linebacker does that. They're taking steps forward, run game, pass game, doesn't matter, and they are limiting that angle. And when somebody gets there and they're right, they're already two or three steps closer. And all the guys we talked about are our aggressors, they all check that box. They're all gaining ground on their play to make their play in their gap on their man. doesn't matter. It's just one of those traits about linebackers. Like I want somebody
3: that goes towards it. That's a great point. If you ever watch a practice and you watch linebacker drills and they set up the bags, they're angled, right? Mm -hmm. They're like stairs. So when you come down as a linebacker, you are gaining ground as you're pursuing and finding your run fit. And that's exactly, that's a great point to bring up because the great ones do that. They're always moving forward. And what you're doing, it's no different than an open field tackle. You brought mm-hmm. up playing hockey. If you if you wait in the open field, okay, against Lamar. Okay,
0: you're done. Forget,
3: <laughs> um, it. forget it. You have to eliminate the distance. You have, to, you have to dictate that situation. I always talk about eliminating the cushion to the ball here because now that puts you in, you in control. Now you can play a side. Now you can take away a cutback lane. But when you sit back. World Zero up. Oyster,
2: they can do whatever they want.
3: Yeah, time to strike up the band for the offense. Then <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're going to close it out with a little bit of a speed round. Here, okay. we got three questions for you. Number one, favorite Midwestern mannerism or saying?
3: Well, the mannerism for me is is, is beer. Okay, so I, okay, I, in in my Midwest, okay, what my Midwest is is obviously Illinois, obviously Iowa, and Wisconsin, southern Wisconsin. That's where I'm mm-hmm. at, and I won't drink beer unless it comes in a 30 pack okay so I drink, <laughs> I drink and this is how everyone talks about it too you drink bush light or you drink Bud heavy Bud heavies yep. those, those are your two choices so i think that is completely midwest and that's that's who i am as a beer drinker. i drink cheap domestic beer and it's got to come in a 30 pack
1: so so you're not a malort guy i say i'm huh? not <laughs> is anybody is it, a Malort guy? I was going to say, is
2: anybody really a Malort <laughs> person more than once? No, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, certainly not after the first exposure. But I remember the Bud Heavy conversation. You and Matt Miller were talking about beer a long time ago, about four years ago. And you're like, Bud Heavies. I've always remembered that. For Out here when people talk about Heavies, it's the first time I heard about Heavies. It wasn't Bud Heavies, but we were out trail building one day. And I said, what are we drinking today? And the guy said, Heavies. And I looked at the other guy Heavies? What is he talking about? He's talking about Coors. He's talking about banquet beer because it wasn't Coors Light, right? It was, And I was like, oh, Heavies. Ah, oh, I get it. All right, cool. So when I heard you talk about Bud Heavies, I was like, these are my people. I understand this.
1: Second question. What got your juices flowing more, playing in an NFL playoff game with a team-high 15 tackles and two PBUs or winning a high school championship as a coach?
3: It's as a coach. There's no question about it. Uh, to be able to win a championship. That's something that has... Uh, until I got one of the reasons I got into coaching was to win. I, I had to win. Um, I didn't win a championship as a player, not in high school, not in college, not in the pros. And it's something that really, really bothered me. And uh, something I did not get through or get over very easily. Um, and I remember when I was asked to coach at IC and I was talking to one of the assistant coaches and he, and he said, are you interested? I said, yes, but I have to win. I have to. And to be around those kids, and we've won four titles now at IC since I've been there, and every team has been different, every team has been unique, every team has had their own personality, their own identity, but to be around those kids, and like I said, it's the kids that are winning, it's the kids that are winning it for us, but to be a part of it, and to be a champion and get a ring, uh, there's nothing like it,
1: nothing. And uh I want to shout out some of the kids you got here that are that are getting D1 offers now because of the prestige of the program that you've helped build Eric Carner, you know he's looking at Bama and Auburn so far has visits coming up with OU in Tennessee uh, Mikey Calgano uh, I'm sorry uh, yeah Calcagno excuse me uh, got an offer from West Point which is amazing uh, West Point's almost impossible to get into so that'll be amazing for him Uh, And then Dominic got an offer from University of Illinois. So you got two linebackers with D1 offers here. Another one, you know, potentially going to the absolute pinnacle of college football, Uh, Alabama, OU, Auburn, take your choice. Uh, What's it feel like to have all these kids getting high, high, high profile offers now?
3: Well, I think it's obviously great for the program, great for the kids too. Those are great opportunities. Um, And for the kids that have D1 offers, um everyone sees that right now but like we were talking earlier we have three players from our team this year are committed to Illinois Wesleyan University which is a great school great education play a high level d3 football so the thing I would learn coaching at the high school level is there's only so many d1 players right that's just how it is just like we talked about throughout the show there's only so many blue chip players in this draft class right but there are a lot of players that can play at different levels and still play successful and productive college football whether well, it's d2 fcs d3 or the Blue Blood programs we're talking about right now, like in Alabama and in Auburn. So the thing is, and the thing I tell my players all the time, is you want to go for with a place that you can compete, right? If you go to a place you can compete and still get that high-quality education, it's going to be four of the best years of your life. And it's going to set you up to when you graduate, whether you have NFL dreams or not, when you graduate, to be a step ahead because you'll be a student-athlete with a degree and you're going to have the traits that are preparing you for life.
1: Love it. Love it. Final question here. And I know this one,
2: go ahead, EJ. I I was going to say the same thing. I love it. I love the approach. I love the perspective. I love the opportunity. You know, I love the opportunity for you and the opportunity that that brings to all these guys that are coming up, learning under you with all your experience. We talked about it before the show, a lot of times when people talk to us about how we got to where we are we tell them what we screwed up on right try and avoid this and the fact that you could share that with all those guys and that they are taking that right like you said it's the players that win it's the players that go earn these offers that they're taking that coaching and and all of those lessons that you're providing as a coach and then creating these awesome opportunities for later in life i'm I'm with you. I can see very easily how you picked, you know, winning the championship. Cause it's not just the championship. That's great. You said you had to win, but it's everything that goes with it and everything, the impact you're going to have
3: down the road on all those guys' lives. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much.
1: I don't mean to make you answer an impossible question, Okay. (laughs) but here's the last one. Most talented Hawkeye you've ever seen.
3: Okay. I'm going to throw a name at you. All right. Um, And you might have to look it up on YouTube. Because this is in the 90s. But Tavian Banks. Banks. (laughs) Oh, no kidding. Running back for the Hawkeyes. Wow. uh, In the mid 90s with us, we had had two extremely talented running backs. We had Cedric Shaw and Tavian Banks. Both of them were drafted, both of them played in the league for a little bit. But Tavian is one of the most electric um, athletes I've ever seen with the football in his hands. And this is a tough decision because I played with Tim Dwight, Jared DeVries, some outstanding players back then. And then obviously, what coaches done with, you know, guys like Kittle and Robert Gallery and Brad Banks, almost one of the Heisman Trophy. So I always had historic players and historic teams under both Kirk and obviously under Coach Fry, um, who I played for um, at Iowa before Coach Ferris came in my final season. So, Tavian, though, I mean, you watch him in practice and you watch him in games. I, he's got a soccer background, uh, grew up playing soccer, so you can see it in his footwork. His lower body agility and foot speed was unbelievable. But the amount of people he simply made miss, you know, Mm -hmm. whether it's in a phone booth in tight quarters, whether it's in the open field, he can shake you, and shake you down. Now I'm telling you, he would put people on the ground because of that foot speed and and just an electric tail. You know, that's awesome. I remember Tavian.
1: That's hilarious. When he was coming out in '98, he ran 4:48 with a 39-inch vertical, which that was back before everybody was doing all this crazy combine prep. That was just off the bench, jumping 39 and running 4 forward.
3: It was. The training – I bring up a great point because today's athlete is so much more prepared you yeah. know, and, yeah. and faster. Um, and, and even in college, you look at Iowa right now or any Big Ten program, you get three meals a day. You get all the supplements. You have all the food in the weight room. We didn't have that. You had one meal a day. Okay, so the rest of our diet was bush light and tuna fish. That's what for- <laughs> 100%. 100%. That's so what we survived it. And the lifting was so different. You know, Big Ten football in the 90s was size, right? Big yeah. shoulder pads, neck rolls, downhill football. We didn't see a spread passing attack until Breeze got to Purdue. Mm-hmm. Right? we saw empty, we saw jet, we saw bubble, but no one was doing that. We were pro style. Uh, there was teams still running veer concepts back then. Yep. A lot of it was out here, it was I back set. Mm-hmm. You ever watch the movie The Program? Every highlight in that movie is 21 person. Everyone personnel and slot. I mean, that's what big 10 football was. So the weight room was kind of designed around that. It was more about, it was more about power and size and short area speed at the point of attack where now it's functional mobility, right? It's training to be an athlete, not just training to be a football player, training to be an athlete. And the surface is great at Indy and those guys are ready to run. And it's a great point to bring up because Someone told me a player was slow the other, other day, and he ran a four five one. 5 is still pretty fast. <laughs> That's okay, still go really race, fast. Go down the street and race someone who runs a 4-5-1. You're <laughs> going to see how fast he is, right? But that has become what we're seeing because of these times. So now 4-4 is like, mm, I want to see more four yeah. threes. No one saw 4-3s outside of Dion when he ran. Yeah. But 4-3 is, I don't think people understand how fast that is. Well, when you do the math,
2: that's the one that always kills me is everybody talks about 40 and we've we've become sort of anesthetized to 40 times because we just see so many of them and we see lots and lots and lots of fours. And then we see lower and lower fours. And as humans, we just want to see that. If you do the math and turn 40 into 100 and start talking about 100 times and world-class sprinters and world-class speed, guys that are winning, you know, uh, you know, world track championships... <laughs> and then cut that down to a, a 10, a 20, and a 40. Like we're seeing guys run at that level in the NFL. We're seeing guys that could compete on the world stage for major dollars in track championships. And a lot of them run track at the most prestigious, you know, universities in America for track, LSU and Texas, all, all have really strong track programs, and there's and there's lots of others. You, you're right. You don't see it, and then the other thing that doesn't get figured in is size, right? That guy that ran four five one, what did he weigh? Yeah, like you know, was he two pounds. was he two ten, <laughs> right, or was he one seventy five? It's a totally different thing, and we see these guys at two twenty five and at two thirty, and then you start seeing these edges, you know, these guys that are you know, out of out of, out of you know, out of time, out of Northwestern, at two eighty, running you know that speed or better. And you're like, well, he's 280. <laughs> like, you just, people just don't figure it in. But uh, it is, it does, you know, everything gets faster, everything gets quicker, the training gets better. I think the gap's gotten a lot smaller because you talked about, you know, tuna fish and Bud Light or Bush Light or whatever it was. It doesn't really matter. People talk about, oh, a year of strength and conditioning in the NFL, and they're coming from a program like LSU whose facility is several billion dollars, you're like, it's not going to be that much better. Like it's going to be a little bit better, but guys are coming out closer
3: to their ceilings because of the training, because of the diet and everything else. 100% they are in terms of their body, what their body types are now. And you can still make gains. There's no question you still make gains. But the flip side of that is you're going to play more football games and they're going to be more physical, they're going to be more violent. So the ability to maintain that strength throughout the season is really the what you need to do as an NFL player. You can make the gains in the offseason. But in season, look, it's hard to get in the weight room sometimes. It hurts. You know, there's, yeah. You're know, you not going to be able to do shoulder press. You're not going to be able to do power clean some weeks because you, you can't do it, right? You're just trying to get through the next three hours of, of next Sunday. But um, I do agree. You know what I do like, though, uh, about testing times right now? We're seeing more numbers out there on the three-cone and short shuttle. I think people are realizing how important those numbers are, too that's not the, it's mm-hmm. not the headline ones they don't show the, the you know the three column drill during the combine testing they don't show it on TV but that tells you a lot about the player as well that is one of the best drills I think in football because it does tell you about their ability to generate short area speed and change directions at a rapid
1: rate there's a lot of different things you can do to improve a 40 time that doesn't really translate to a football field you know you can run at a track gate You can alter your stance, everything like that. And that that could shave off two-tenths of a second, but it doesn't affect how you run on the football field. You can't hide stiff hips in a three-cone. You cannot. It's
3: a great point, Brett. I'm glad you said that. That is an outstanding point because you can run and you can practice it and practice the steps, but it's still not going to dramatically change like you're saying because a a proper stance and a proper get-off in a 40 means everything. means everything, right, in terms of your final time. But – as a defensive back, you're not going to be in a stance, man. That was your hand. You're going to be playing backwards, right? You're going to so, be playing backwards. This was my first year being at Pro
2: Days. Uh, being at Pro Days as they were going on. I went to a couple of them this year. Brett went to one as well. And we talk about tape translating to Sundays. And, and I love it when we bring people a lot smarter than us on and they say, you know, does that look like Sunday? We had J2 O'Sullivan on talking about quarterbacks. And he's like, is that a Sunday throw? Is that how it's going to look in the league? That's what I'm looking for. And you get down to the functional, I'm going to call it functional speed testing, three cone, short shuttle. And a guy can have a great pro day and they run that stuff at the end. They run the forties before that. They do the lifts before that. They do the jumps before that. And you can have a shine on your eye about a guy and be like, hey man, I don't know. I didn't look at this guy. I should probably go back and look at this guy. They step up to the three cone and the short shuttle and you go, that's not Sunday. Like that's... I you could do what you want can be a bad day whatever That's not how it needs to look on sunday if that guy's going to play in a league and it it is like brett said there's nowhere to hide like he runs up and he moves like that that's how he moves Uh, Mm -hmm. especially with all the training and the prep and everything else and it is a differentiator right away
1: well we could not possibly thank you enough for being so generous with your time you know going more than an hour with us this was this was incredible it was illuminating Uh, You are one of the smartest football minds in the business, and we cannot thank you enough for coming by. Well, I
3: appreciate it. You guys are great. You're great at what you do. Um, And and like I said earlier, I I love what you guys do in terms of how you create your content. And you're very knowledgeable about the game. You see it like I see it. You know, we're all watching the same stuff together. Uh, We're all going to be hit on some of these guys. We're all going to miss on some of these guys, too. That's the fun part of it, right, to see how that translates and see where they go. And that's the, my final thing I'll say is opportunity means so much, right? The situation means so much where you go, who you're being coached by, uh, the talent around you. I mean, that, that, that matters so much. Having a veteran presence. When I was a rookie in St. Louis, the best thing for my career, because I wasn't a good player. I was just a guy that survived in special teams and, and tried to play hard, but being with Kurt Warner, Ricky Prohl, Todd Light, uh, Orlando Pace, Isaac Bruce, Tory Holt, Marshall, being around those guys, that helped me so much. One, be comfortable. One, have a voice that I can ask and try to understand more. But it really accelerated my learning path as a professional
1: football player. Thank you so much for coming on. All right, guys, be good. We'll talk soon. Okay.
0: All right, I appreciate you it, Matt. Soon. Take care. Thank you.
2: Matt Bowen's one of my favorite people. Not one of my favorite people in football. Just one of my favorite people. Love the way he sees the game. Love the way he sees his life. Uh, couldn't be happier that he was generous enough to give us so much time during a really busy season. Um, Matt's a guy, we we don't shoo him out of here. He just stays and stays and we love talking football with him. So hopefully we'll get him again, but tremendous episode talking about all the talent that we see down the draft board and everybody focuses on that top round, the top hundred, so many more players, so many more stories in this draft, and we're going to see them get written next week. So really appreciate Matt's guidance and help and his eye. Um, With all his perspectives, all the hats he's worn, uh, player, now coach, analyst, broadcaster, just really, really psyched to wrap up this draft season slate of guests with Matt Bowen. Um, What's the rest of it look like? Again, reminder, we're heading to KC. We're going to do a combo on the film room, which will be a little bit fun, talking about your mock draft. We're going to do the Draftsmas Eve live stream, 4 to 6, central time. When we're in KC, we're going to take an hour break, run over to KC Co., have our first meetup in person, 7 to 9 p.m. on Wednesday, again, Central Time. And then Thursday, it's on. Round one starts in the evening. We'll be kicking off our draft live stream an hour before coverage of the draft starts. Or sorry, before the draft itself starts. Coverage will probably start three or four hours earlier. <laughs> uh, and then day two on Friday, we'll be on half an hour before the picks start. And on Saturday morning half an hour before all of day three, going through every pick in the NFL draft. And then if we have anything left and we can actually pull ourselves out of our own stupor, we're going to show up at the KCSN draft wrap-up party at the Holiday Distillery on Sunday. If you need details about that, head over to KCSN, Kansas City Sports Network. They've got all the details. They're going to have a lot of cool stuff. I don't even think you might know. I talked to BJ yesterday, so they're going to have a food truck. Yeah,
1: I, I don't know anything about this. So. Food truck,
2: <laughs> live music former Chiefs players they're they're turning it into a thing so we're gonna record our podcast in the morning and it kicks off about noon mixed drinks tours of holiday the whole bit so should be a good time and then on Monday we get to try and make flights back to our respective houses and and actually be functioning humans again but uh I'm I'm not selling that short. I'm not. Uh, I'm not getting to the end before we start the beginning. I'm really looking forward to this. I don't know about you. We spent a lot of time on it, and this is a fun draft. There's a lot of intrigue. Going to be a lot of storylines, and it's our first time in the home in the host city. So.
1: So maybe I should uh, not wear my Chargers hoodie to to the Sunday wrap-up, is what you're saying?
2: Uh, you know, you could. <laughs> it would make for an interesting Mike gets time. Might get stabbed, but yeah. Yeah, it's, it's possible. <laughs> I, I'm imagining the good denizens of Casey uh, would take that as a good-natured uh, and give back as, as good as you gave. I don't know.
1: When you win the Super Bowl twice in three years, I don't pretty, think you're allowed to be angry. Pretty easy so. to
2: to look down your nose at other teams at that point. But we're really looking forward to being in KC, meeting a bunch of you at the meetup, uh, the draft live streams, all of them. Um, This is, it is the best time of year and it's going to be really, really good. Can't thank everybody enough, but we especially want to thank our executive producers over on the Patreon. Couldn't do all of these things, rent a house, fly to KC, buy equipment, do the whole bit without their very generous support. So that's Murat, Consti, Caden, andrew taylor liam connor joey and mike what you do for us every month is amazing and appreciated so thank you very much and with that uh we're gonna go finish up our rankings for all those patrons
1: yeah i i, I studied 270 players and i think i still have to slot in and and copy and paste over like roughly 270 of them so
2: <laughs> i'm gonna get on that all right well until then we'll see you soon and we'll see you later.